Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, and I'm here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Helen Hadani, a fellow at the Brookings Institution, where she leads Playful Learning Landscapes, an initiative that brings together the fields of developmental science and placemaking with the goal of improving child and community outcomes. Previously, she spent 20 years in research and education, developing creative learning experiences for children and families everywhere from the Bay Area Discovery Museum to Sesame Workshop and beyond. Helen, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thanks so much, Ryan and Greg. I'm happy to be here. Helen, when we think about learning spaces, we usually think in terms of buildings and rooms. Schools and classrooms in the narrow sense, or more broadly, libraries, museums, parks, and after-school programs. Your work leading the Playful Learning Landscapes Initiative at the Brookings Institution asks us to think about cities themselves as spaces where kids can learn. How did this initiative come about, and can you tell us more about what you've set out to do? Playful Learning Landscapes is really a broad initiative that's part of a collaboration between Brookings and Temple University through the leadership of Professor Kathy Hirsch-Pasek and her lifelong collaborator, Professor Roberta Golenkoff. Also the work of colleagues at Playful Learning Landscapes Action Network, which is a nonprofit based in Philadelphia. For decades, education has been plagued by inequities and unfortunately those inequities continue to grow in many communities. And we know from research that education gaps start very early and we see young children from under-resourced communities enter formal schooling, lagging behind their peers in many areas like numeracy, literacy, and spatial skills. And this sets children's learning trajectory for the rest of their lives. Policymakers have largely invested in resources to improve access and the quality of formal education, including preschool, to address these gaps. And while that is an important part of the solution, we also need to recognize that children in most Western countries, including the United States, spend only about 20% of their waking hours in school. And so it's this other 80% of time spent outside the classroom including time in home and community settings that offers really important opportunities to both supplement and extend school learning. And so Playful Learning Landscapes addresses the question, how can we use this other 80% of children's time to create learning opportunities for families? And one bold answer is to look to community and shared spaces, which are often underutilized and overlooked as opportunities for learning. So the goal of Playful Learning Landscapes is really to enhance community engagement and promote children's learning through caregiver-child interactions by meeting families where they are, in supermarkets, laundromats, bus stops, parks, and bringing educational opportunities into public spaces. Helen, can you talk us through some examples of places that are doing this particularly well? You mentioned bus stops, supermarkets. I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the other public places that cities are rethinking. Are these unused spaces, things like vacant lots, or perhaps spaces that have been repurposed or reimagined in some way, or perhaps some combination? Many of these are in Philadelphia, 
One main reason for that is because Temple University is in Philadelphia, but we also know that so many other cities across the U.S. are doing this great work in terms of infusing play and playful learning and also cities across the world. I'll just talk through a couple examples of what we call playful learning landscapes installations. So we have Urban Thinkscape, which is a really sort of iconic playful learning landscapes installation. Urban Thinkscape transformed an abandoned lot next to a bus stop in West Philadelphia into an interactive play space. And Urban Thinkscape includes four activities and structures that target specific areas of learning, including spatial skills, language development, and executive function. I normally show photos to sort of use so you can see these, but I'll try and describe it as best I can in words. So one of the activities in Urban Thinkscape is called Jumping Feet. And this is a twist on hopscotch. So a favorite childhood game that embeds cognitive science in the design of the activity, and it's actually based on a task that's often used by developmental researchers to gauge children's memory and attention. And so if you can picture a series of round stones where you see either one footprint on the stone or two footprints, and there's signage next to the game that prompts or encourages children to put one foot where they see two and vice versa. This actually builds in a very playful way children's executive function skills. So these are skills like planning and flexible thinking. So children have to sort of pause before they're going to jump and sort of think, I see one footprint, I'm gonna put two here. A second example is supermarkets. Families go to the supermarket on a weekly, sometimes on a daily basis. There's a lot of opportunity there for children and caregivers to be interacting and having conversations. So Supermarket Speak transformed the daily trip to the supermarket into a learning opportunity by adding simple signage, such as where does milk come from, to promote caregiver-child conversations. And researchers found a 33% increase, which is huge in terms of developmental psychology, in conversations between children and caregivers when the signs were up versus when the signs were down in supermarkets in under-resourced neighborhoods. This work was originally done in Philadelphia, but has been replicated in other cities across the U.S. and also in South Africa. I love to share this example because it's a very low-cost and sort of low-lift project. This was originally done by a graduate student in Kathy Hirsch-Pasek's lab at Temple University. I believe she printed and designed her own signs, so very low cost again. But you see these huge increases in caregiver-child interaction. Helen, we love this sensibility that learning happens everywhere. And so you've given us two great examples something that happens outdoors, something that happens in something as familiar as a grocery store. Now, it's a big leap from learning only happens in schools to learning happens everywhere. And yet we don't want parents to feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to be teaching and educating my child at every moment, everywhere, right? So, so much about this work is just creating normal, sensible moments that just spark something different than might otherwise happen. Is that right? And how does it become so normal in these settings? The sort of uniqueness of playful learning landscapes is really thinking about these opportunities to meet families where they are. And me coming from a museum background, that was sort of my first experience thinking about informal education, education outside the classroom. But museums and libraries and science centers are sort of the traditional informal education spaces. 
those are still destinations where families have to go, and there's still barriers there for a lot of families. Families might not feel welcome in a museum environment. They might not be able to get there. Transportation could be an issue. And so Playful Learning Landscapes is trying to bring education into the public realm trying to address some of these inequities that we have in education. Also, I think a unique aspect of Playful Learning Landscapes is trying to bring together the fields of learning sciences or developmental psychology and education with placemaking and urban design, creating this new interdisciplinary field, focusing a lot on caregiver-child interactions because from a developmental psychology perspective, we know that both quantity and quality of those interactions is critically important for building a really strong foundation for children's learning and development. Helen, when you were talking about supermarket speak, it reminded me of these billboards I used to see in Baton Rouge that would have a purple rectangle on them or a green square. And there would be a prompt for parents to say, look, there's a green triangle or there's a purple rectangle. And it's interesting that billboards are a ubiquitous part of the environment. So are supermarkets, so are vacant lots. I'm curious about what spaces you see with untapped potential for meeting families where they are. We also see examples of children walking to school or just walking on the sidewalk and you paint, for example, a ruler on the sidewalk. That prompts many kids to want to see how far they can jump. And then that prompts conversations about measurement and comparison. So one child jumps and then they want to see how far their sibling can jump or their friend can jump. Right, so just something as simple as that. Or, you know, when kids see shapes or colors, they want to do comparison, they want to create categories. These things that children see in their everyday environment can really spark some interesting conversations. We're trying to find spaces where parents and children wait. A lot of families spend time waiting, again, at bus stops, at transit stops, laundry mats, our collaborators at Too Small to Fail. They have this really unique and very successful partnership with the Laundry Cares Foundation. Thinking about a lot of families spend a couple hours a week in a laundromat. And so they've partnered with lots of laundromats across the country and created literacy-rich sort of play spaces in them. One of my favorite quotes coming from one of my colleagues at Too Small to Fail, they said a father that they interviewed about some of their work said, you know, I have a laundromat around the corner from my house, but I walk six blocks to this other laundromat because they have one of those play spaces for my children. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Radzeski. We're talking with Helen Hadani, a fellow at the Brookings Institution who leads the Playful Learning Landscapes Initiative. Helen, when places are transformed in the way that you've described for us, we're guessing that learning isn't the only thing that happens there. Obviously, learning is a primary goal, but what are the surprising other effects of, say, installing a puzzle at a bus stop? We know there's like no silver bullet for educational inequity, but Playful Learning Landscapes offers a powerful solution with a wide range of outcomes. So from a child development perspective, as you mentioned, Greg, it enables this sort of mindset shift around caregivers and communities around the role of caregiver-child interactions and play in fostering foundational learning. But at the same time, we hope that playful learning landscapes make cities themselves more beautiful and livable for their residents. So this is more from the placemaking urban design side. 
Playful Learning Landscapes engages communities around the revitalization of the public realm, for example, transforming vacant lots and bus stops, and creates new opportunities for social interaction for adults and children alike. Taking Urban Thinkscape again as an example, a huge part of the success of that project was community engagement. The research team really came into it wanting the community to be part of it from the beginning, which wasn't easy in the beginning stages. So they invited community members to be part of the design process. You know, they had some struggles really making the community feel like they were partners and part of the project. But once they had that community engagement, those community members were really the champions of the project. And a unique aspect of Urban Thinkscape was that they trained some of the community members to be data ambassadors. So they were the ones that collected the data at the site and at a control site because they realized that having someone from the community to talk to other people that were visiting Urban Thinkscape was really critical in terms of people feeling comfortable sharing their opinions and sharing what they thought about the space. And then lastly, just to go back to the laundromat example, we hope that Playful Learning Landscapes can also be beneficial to businesses. So again, when that father, the quote I said about him walking six blocks with his family to go to another laundromat, that's beneficial for that laundromat because they have that play space there. Helen, you've described lots of wonderful examples of how cities are making landscapes more playful, more attractive to kids, more livable for families. What do you think it's going to take to see this happen with some regularity and on a large scale? In your ideal world, what is the average American city going to look like in 5, 10, or 15 years? And I'm also wondering how the pandemic and its effects on crowds is shaping or reshaping that vision. There's no better time than today to really think more holistically about child development and to address growing education inequities in our current systems. And COVID has really shined a very bright spotlight on the need for learning ecosystems to support children and families. And this means thinking about learning beyond the classroom and infusing play in public spaces where children and families spend time. With any new idea, it's gonna take time to see this happen on a large scale, but we hope to really seize this opportunity to think more creatively about educating our children and not falling back on the status quo. And so a big step in the right direction is really spotlighting best practices and places that are already doing this well. And one way that we are doing this is Brookings launched a Playful Learning Landscapes City Network. So we launched the network with the first cohort of cities back in December. Those cities are Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Tel Aviv. It's a knowledge sharing peer learning network. That's part of what we hope to continue doing through the Playful Learning City Network, spotlighting these best practices and challenges. We also wanna know what didn't go well. How could other cities have a different approach? So I think in the near future, we hope to see the learning sciences added to what we call the urban design checklist just like sustainability. So, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, designers had to go beyond their typical designs to incorporate strategies for sustainability. But now that's part of the design. And we want to see the same for playful learning, that it is an inherent part of urban design. Helen, how can people find out more about the work you're doing? 
There's a few resources. So one is if you go to the Brookings website, brookings.edu, you can search Playful Learning Landscapes and there you will find a landing page that has information and lots of links below it. As you might know, Brookings is very big on blogging. So there's lots of blogs and reports about Playful Learning Landscapes. You can also visit Playful Learning Landscapes Action Network. You will be led to the beautiful site that has many of the examples, Urban Thinkscape and Supermarket Speak that I talked about today, along with many other examples. So that's another great place to find out more about Playful Learning Landscapes. Before we go, Helen, just one more question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner. To recognize the power of play and what you're doing every day. A lot of parents I talk to say, you know, I don't know what to do, or I, you know, I don't think I'm doing a good job. Chances are things you are already doing with your kids, making breakfast with them, sitting down to read a book with them at bedtime. All those things can be a little bit more playful thinking about maybe questions that you can ask your children to start those conversations that, like I said, are so important, especially at the early ages. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.